Welcome to Kripalu Perspectives, enlightening interviews with leading teachers, authors, and thinkers associated with Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health, located in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. I'm Portland Helmick, your host, and today I'm talking to Sam Chase, a yoga instructor who leads yoga programs for the United Nations and the National Guard, as well as teacher training programs and workshops nationwide. Sam's the co-owner of a Yoga to the People studio in New York City, where he combines Kropalu yoga with his background in diverse yoga traditions. He holds a certificate in positive psychology from Kropalu and is the author of Yoga and the Pursuit of Happiness. Thanks so much for being here, Sam. Thank you, Portland. Nice to be here. So I love the title of your book, Yoga and the Pursuit of Happiness. It has within it this phrase that I think is kind of the ultimate topic the pursuit of happiness. Thomas Jefferson wrote about that in the Declaration of Independence. He referred to it as an unalienable right. Philosophers have written about happiness. Poets have written about it for centuries. So before we talk about yoga and how to attain happiness, I think we should start with first your definition of happiness. How do you define it? Sure. Well, it is a really big question, and lots of people have taken a stab at it in a lot of different ways. My working definition of happiness really comes from the tradition of positive psychology, which is the scientific study of well-being. And it really starts with pleasure, which I think is a good thing. For me, if I'm not allowed to enjoy a milkshake every once in a while, I don't even want to start talking about what happiness is. (laughs) Sometimes psychologists will call this positive emotion, and it includes all the kinds of self-gratifying and satisfying emotions like joy and rapture and, you know, all the good stuff that we really love about our lives. That's what most of us think of when we imagine happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Like, nobody needs to tell you what pleasure is. You know it. And the second component is meaning, which connects us to a sense of something greater than ourselves. A lot of people find this in family and loved ones or activism and social causes. So as opposed to the pleasures, which are sort of self-satisfying, meaning puts us in touch with something bigger than ourselves. And then the last one is engagement, which is a sense of deep psychological absorption. Psychologists often call it a state of flow. These are the activities or the things we're engaged in where our sense of ourselves almost seems to disappear. They're kind of self-transcending activities that seem deeply connected to our happiness and our sense of well-being. And so those three taken together, pleasure and meaning and engagement, are really my working definition of happiness, not necessarily because I think it's the best or the right one, but because I think it starts a lot of good inquiries and a lot of rich conversation when we work from those ideas. It seems like engagement is a combination of pleasure and meaning. You know, it can be. It absolutely can be. For me, one example in my own life that's really engaging is teaching. And for me, when I'm working on lessons or when I'm connecting with students, I find it intensely absorbing and deeply, deeply pleasurable and also incredibly meaningful. So I think flow experiences, engagement experiences definitely can come at the place where pleasure and meaning overlap. So why do you think happiness is so elusive for so many of us and so fleeting so often? We have moments of it, but it doesn't stick around a lot of the time. It seems that way, doesn't it? I think for me, one of the biggest reasons is that the self is always changing. 
And I just talked about how there's components of happiness, pleasure and meaning and engagement. You know, they're about self-satisfaction or touching on something bigger than ourselves or transcending ourselves. And if we take a view that the self is always shifting and changing, well, then our happiness is always going to be shifting and changing as well. And even when we look deeper at the pieces and parts, you know, pleasures have diminishing returns. It's a neurological fact. The first bite of ice cream is heaven and by the time you finish the whole carton you can't believe you ate the whole thing. (laughs) It's just the way they work. So back to your book, Sam, Yoga and the Pursuit of Happiness. Many people who come to yoga are looking to make a shift in their lives, right? Maybe they're looking to become more fit or they're looking to reduce stress. And some, I guess, might be coming to a yoga practice in the hopes that they're going to feel happier or more fulfilled as a result. Do you think that practicing yoga regularly can actually increase happiness? I certainly think it can help. But I also want to put it in that position as a help to happiness. I don't want us to put all our eggs in one basket and say, ah, if I just hit an hour of yoga every day, that's all I need. I think that's a little foolish. But what I think yoga can do best is to really give us tools to understand what's going on inside our own selves, how our bodies and minds and spirits kind of talk to each other or engage with each other. So what I often say to students is, you know, yoga is not holding out a promise to make us happy. It's holding out a promise to help us understand our lives as they really are. But when we have that kind of understanding, when we have that kind of awareness, I think it allows us to move through our lives much more skillfully, much more smoothly. And that can be a big, big part of our happiness. Can you give an example of how you might move through life more skillfully as a result of that awareness? Well, you know, this one's not from my life, but it is, I think, one of my favorite stories that illustrates the point perfectly. And this is actually a story of a Zen monk named Hakuin. And the story goes like this. A really great soldier comes to visit this monk and asks the monk, can you tell me if heaven and hell are real? And the monk looks at him and he says, who are you? And the guy says, I'm a soldier. And the monk says to him, you can't be a soldier. You have a face like a beggar. And the soldier starts to pull out his sword. And the monk goes, that's hell. And the soldier pauses. And the monk says, I bet your sword is so dull it couldn't even cut me. And the soldier puts his sword back in the sheath. And the monk says, you've just opened a gate to heaven. And what I love about this story is it kind of points out how all of us are, we're such habitual animals. We're so full of reactions. Our conscious attention is so limited. And in the moment when the soldier goes to pull his sword and attack this monk, that's like a little bit of living hell. And when we can put in a pause, when we can take stock of what's going on, we become a little less a creature of habit and a little more a creature of choice. We become less reactive. We become more responsive. And I think that is what the yoga practice and the meditative practice are all about. And I would say that process is really essential to happiness. What does the scientific research say, Sam, about the link between yoga and meditation and happiness? Well, there is research certainly suggesting that yoga and meditation can increase all kinds of different positive emotions. But for me, some of the things that are most compelling in the research show how yoga and meditative practices 
can really feed into the deeper components of happiness that we've talked about. Meditation and yoga both increase focus, which is certainly required for the kind of self-transcending, engaging flow experiences we've talked about. Both yoga and meditation help increase our perceptual sensitivity, which helps us savor the pleasures that we've talked about. You know, it helps us soak them up a little better. Certain kinds of meditation can increase our sense of social connectedness, which I think is a real big component of meaning in our lives. Mm-hmm. And then there are also some other things that these practices have been shown to be really useful for. One of the ones that I've become really interested in lately is there's some very recent research suggesting that different kinds of meditation can help reduce things like racial bias and discriminative behaviors. One thing meditation and yoga help us do, Sam, I think you would agree with this, is live more directly in the present moment. Is there a link between present moment awareness and happiness? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my favorite pieces of research was an attempt to poll people throughout their day using like an iPhone app, just to ask them, what are you thinking right now? What are you doing right now? And how is that making you feel? And that research found that about half the time, we're thinking about something other than what's going on right now. We're thinking about the past or the future. And I think the most important point was that most of those thoughts about the past and future are making us unhappy. If we can't sit with ourselves, if we can't be present with our thoughts, we tend to struggle. We tend to suffer. One of my favorite quotes that points right to it is from philosopher Blaise Pascal, who said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's ability to sit quietly in a room alone. From man's ability or inability? Inability to sit quietly in a room alone. So that's an interesting point. So as much as that's important, our ability to sit quietly in a room alone and just be with ourselves and our own thoughts, I think happiness isn't just found meditating in a cave, you know? It's also found out in the world when, and you were talking about this, when you're involved and engaged with other people. Don't you think that both are equally important, meditation, self-awareness, and action? Absolutely. I think that we can get into trouble if we only go inward. And as stereotypical and popular as that story of the yogi meditating in the cave is, I think the cave is really only half the story. You know, our world is suffering, and we have a responsibility to act in it. I would say not only do we have a responsibility there, but our engagement with the world around us is so much of a part of our happiness. There was one bit of research that tried to find a common denominator in the 10% happiest people that they surveyed. And the one overwhelming factor was social connection. And you can't find that going inward. That's, that's around you. I'm wondering, Sam, how yoga and meditation and positive psychology have affected your own experience of happiness. It's really given me a great toolbox to navigate through all the ups and downs of my own life. It doesn't make everything happy or smooth, but it just helps me move more skillfully through that terrain. I started doing yoga because I just wanted to be able to touch my toes. And I was honestly coming off of a time in my life that was pretty rough. I grew up really academic and bookish, always did very well in school. I was studying economics and was about to graduate at the top of my class and was invited to compete for Rhodes and Marshall scholarships. You know, really like this was the pinnacle of my academic mountain. And I got a call telling me that I'd won and 
it should have been the happiest moment in my life. And instead, I threw up. And mm-hmm. it was not overwhelming joy. It was overwhelming terror. I suddenly, without anticipating it, realized I couldn't stare down 40 more years of life I was going down. And there was a real depression after that for me. And it was in the middle of all that that I decided I wanted to learn how to touch my toes. And someone shoved me into my first yoga class. And sure enough, in about six weeks, I could touch my toes. In about six months, I was breathing easier. I'd always had horrible asthma as a kid, and that really started to subside. And as time went by, I started to get much better acquainted with the part of myself that kind of threw up and revolted at a time when I thought I should be my happiest, and I just wasn't. Because it turns out there were deeper parts of myself that I'd been pushing away and really not speaking to for maybe 20 years of my life. And the yoga practice and the meditation practice were big, big part for me of starting a long overdue conversation and making amends with my own self and absolutely getting on track for my own pursuit of happiness. If you're looking to have your yoga practice make a transformative, positive shift in your life, how do you think you need to approach it? If we want a yoga practice or a meditation practice to really transform us, three things are really present. One is discipline. You've got to have a willingness to do the hard work to change your patterns and habits and get into the mess of what it is to be a human being. And the second is a sense of self-study, a willingness to really look deeply at our own situation. And the last is a sense of surrender, a willingness to acknowledge that there's some things that are beyond our control, some things that no amount of study and discipline are going to change. And that's where we learn to practice acceptance and letting go. So if you had to offer one quick suggestion for how to increase happiness as we're closing today, what would it be? Well, I think knowing that so much of our happiness is wrapped up in the people around us, my biggest tip would be to just go out into the day and look for a way to make someone else's life happier. And I think we'll find that when we make someone else's lives happier, it comes right back around to us. That's lovely. Get outside of yourself and focus on others. I want to thank you so much for talking with me, Sam. My pleasure. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Sam and his classes and workshops, you can go to samchaseyoga.com. That's S-A-M-C-H-A-S-E-Y-O-G-A.com. I'm Portland Helmick. Thank you for listening to Kropalu Perspectives. Kropalu Perspectives is a production of Kropalu Center for Yoga and Health, the nation's leading retreat center for yoga and holistic living, offering workshops, trainings, and retreats in Western Massachusetts. Visit us online at kropalu.org. That's K-R-I-P-A-L-U.org.